Welcome to Talking Wyndham, your weekly insight into the people who make our city surprising, fascinating, vibrant and interesting. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page. G'day and welcome to this edition of the Talking Wyndham podcast. I think you're going to enjoy this one a lot. It's certainly one that's very timely given the COVID-19 pandemic that's invaded every area of our life of recent times. And today we take a visit back with someone who's been on the program once before. Uh, that is uh, one of the vice chancellors uh, and, of course, one of the uh, heads of uh, research and development uh, in immunisation uh, based uh, in Hoppers Lane at the Vic Uni uh, campus down there. And, of course, it is uh, Professor Vasso Apostolopoulos. Now, the professor has been on the program before talking about the very important research work and uh, and vaccine and immunisation development that she's been working on uh, in the uh, in the Hoppers uh, area. Uh, but uh, today we'll be talking about COVID-19 because, as you may have seen on the 7.30 report last week, the professor has been approached to uh, to help in coming up with the vaccine for COVID-19. So some very, very important uh, and urgent work that's being done right now. So pleased that she's taken a little bit of time out uh, from her very busy schedule uh, to be able to join us on the Talking Window podcast, and we'll get to her in just a moment. Uh, today's uh, podcast, of course, is brought to you with thanks to the Wyndham City Council. Now, go to the Wyndham City Council website because there's a myriad of things you can do there at the moment, so many things to help you while you're in isolation, uh, whether you're a business or a, a, you know an individual like myself who's sort of locked in at home and has, hasn't got a lot to do. There's uh, plenty of things to do uh, from everything from uh, – exercises through to uh, accessing our local libraries and online facilities there, uh, down to this terrific uh, service they've got at the moment. Now, if you go into the website, into the services area, and then go to the business and investment section, it'll open up uh, a little uh, a little window of opportunity for you. If you're a local business, and of course, with the spirit of buying local and supporting our local businesses, that's why this is so important. Council's got uh, the services of 12 local professional service advisors. Got them on board. Now, they'll be uh, presenting free one-hour specialist consultations uh, to participating uh, Wyndham businesses. So if you're in business in Wyndham and uh, you see one of the services there that interests you, here's your chance to take advantage of a free one-hour consultation. Now, some of the areas that are being looked at, human resources and industrial relations, finance, uh, business planning and digital marketing. Uh, So apply now and all you have to do is, as I mentioned, go into the services section of the website, uh, then into the business and investment section and the Win Local Professional Services Advice Program is the one you're looking for. So hopefully you'll find something there that will be a benefit to you. There's plenty there, so I'm sure you will. But let's get to our guest uh, for this week's uh, podcast, uh, for the Talking Window podcast. And, of course, we're heading down to Vic University and uh, the inside word on the COVID-19 pandemic. So thank you much, uh, very much for spending some time with us. We really do appreciate it. I know you're very busy. A bit on your plate at the moment. Oh, yes. It's an um, unexpected pandemic that strikes the world. Um, and everyone's focusing on coronavirus at the moment and trying to get rid of it. So, you know, amongst all the other research I do, I've added on another research topic, which is coronavirus. So, yes, I do have a bit on my plate. Well, tell us how the uh, how the COVID nineteen coronavirus came to your plate. How did how did that happen? Were you approached? Did you did you see what was happening and uh, and and made inquiries? Or, or how, uh, tell us how that played out. Okay, so um, with coronavirus, I mean, I mean, I had previously worked on SARS and influenza and trying to develop vaccines, and 
I've worked on HIV, etc. So I have worked in with some viruses, so it's not totally new to me. But um, you know, my expertise and my background is in immunology and also in developing vaccines and drugs. So you know, given my you know, 25 years expertise in the area, um, it's, it's logical to use that knowledge that I have and I've that I've used to develop other vaccines, um, it's just logical to apply that to develop a vaccine against coronavirus. And also we're working on um, some drugs, uh, repurposing some FDA-approved drugs and trying to repurpose them for uh, some treatment for coronavirus. So there are two projects. One is for a drug and the other one for coronavirus. But given my expertise and background and history within the topic of drugs and vaccines, um, I've added on coronavirus as another drug and vaccine to develop. Is the virus something that is a uh, is finding a, a cure for a virus or finding a vaccine for a virus something that is a, a, a totally scientific, logical process? Look, developing vaccines are not difficult, um, but what's difficult is to, is to understand the virus itself how it infects the person, how the person responds. And if you could understand that, then you could you know, design vaccines according to the, you know, how the life cycle of the virus and what it does to the body. So that's, um, yeah, developing vaccines is, is, is a logical way of doing it. Um, how difficult is it to do? It's just quite difficult. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's difficult it's because we don't know what the virus does. That's why. It would, it would be it's a little bit tricky on how to make the vaccine. I mean, making a vaccine is not hard, but understanding the virus and making the vaccine according to that uh, might be a bit tricky. So we are doing studies at the moment. So that's what I'm trying to do is is I we're trying to identify from the people that have had coronavirus and have recovered, and we're tr- we're getting the the blood from those people to see what type of immune response their body generated. So if we could understand what immune response naturally the body generated, then we could mimic and make a vaccine that we will make the body generate that same type of response. Um, So that's what we're trying to develop at the moment. But then once you've identified that, how naturally the people that have recovered, how they respond, then it's... So quite easy to make a vaccine. You only take you know, a few weeks to get a vaccine ready. Well, to make a vaccine, and then you have to do all the animal studies before you go into human trials. Uh, vaccines had been made uh, and attempted previously to the other coronaviruses. So we've, there's been two types of coronaviruses that we've previously had that have come from animals. Uh, both of them, so one of them was SARS. That was um, 2000 and to 2003, uh, or 2004, 2002 to 2004, and MERS, which was in 2012. So they are also two types of coronaviruses that uh, was transferred from, it was believed to be transferred from bats to humans, and this one is a similar one as well. Um, Those two, SARS and MERS, was not as infective, but it was deadly. Um, You know, there was was about 40% death rate. Uh, but only about you know, 8,000 people were infected by it because it was well-controlled and it was in 
and it wasn't as infectious. This coronavirus is very, very infectious. One person can infect up to 14 people. So it's very infectious and we're still trying to understand and understand this virus a little bit more. Is it a particularly resilient virus in that it, it, it seems to be immune to, to everything that's been tried uh, up until now? Um, yeah, it's tricky. Okay, so a vaccine had been tried and had been tested in humans for MERS and SARS, the previous coronaviruses, um, but they were not successful in humans. So there was no vaccine available for those two. And this one, uh, the current one, which is more infectious and it just, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's is very tricky. Um, you know, the, we hope we could de- develop a vaccine, and the vaccine will be developed. But what, which one will be effective, is is the the answer. There's probably about a hundred people around the world, hundred labs that are working on vaccines at the moment. Um, but and all of them, if they all get tested in humans, probably only one or two would work, if that. So that's why you know we need more researchers around the world working on developing a vaccine. Everybody uses their own method. Everybody uses their own way of generating the vaccine, so in the hope one of them uh, would work. So is there is there much uh, cross-pollination between yourself and the other 99 uh, laboratories around the place that are, that are working on it, or do you literally work as a silo? Uh, well, I have a lot of collaborators around the world. Uh, you know, we've developed vaccines for other disorders and diseases in the past, so we have a lot of collaborators in regards to the SARS. Um, I have been in contact with a few teams that are developing vaccines, but most of the teams that I've been in contact with, they, they're working on a different mode or a different way of developing a vaccine. I have a different way of developing a vaccine as well. But we are, we are in discussions at the moment of, you know, they try their way, I try my way, but why don't we try combining the two methods and making an even more effective vaccine? So, yes, there are um, discussions um, that I'm having with quite a few labs around the world um, to try and enhance um, the vaccine strategy. Is there much external pressure on you and the, and the other scientists and professors involved in this to, to come up with something quick, smart, because it is uh, it has had such yeah. a, an enormous effect? Yeah, so the whole world is actually waiting for a vaccine and there's a lot of pressure being put on researchers to develop a vaccine that, that actually works in humans. Um, so there is a bit of pressure but um you know there's a lot of knowledge out there there's a lot of information that we're gathering and um you know in the hope that we will be successful um as soon as possible i mean to develop a vaccine if you start from scratch it takes about 15 10 to 15 years to develop a vaccine however you know if we're using existing knowledge of how people develop existing vaccines and not the 25 years behind me of how to make vaccines. So we're, we're just applying that knowledge to develop a vaccine for coronavirus. So that could easily, therefore, that's why um, you, know, you hear the, the magic word 12 to 18 months, there, there would be a vaccine available because we are already using our existing technologies, which we've got, you know, it took us 25 years to develop. We are applying that directly for coronavirus. So there, there is a, um, we can fast track it and get something uh, tested in humans and in the hope one of these versions of the vaccines that are being made will be able to protect humans against the virus.
Professor, I'm sure that your the field that you work in is full of surprises. But is the is the extent to which this virus has caught us on the hop? Does that come as a surprise to the scientific community? Look, uh, viruses have uh, you know the, yeah, we, the, a lot of viruses are from animal origin, and you know the, a lot of humans get viruses from animals, like you know the the previous two coronavirus types um, that were from bats. Uh, we had uh, swine flu in 2009, which is you know, animal origin. There's, there's a lot of viruses that are transmitted from animals to humans, so that's not a surprise. Um, in addition, viruses mutate. So that's not a surprise either because you know, all the viruses, it's just part of them, the way they are. They continuously mutate. And, for example, that's why we need to have you know, the influenza, which is the seasonal flu, uh, virus uh, every year we need to have a vaccination. If we had one last year, why do we need another vaccination this year? It's because it's against the influenza virus, but uh, every year there's the, the vaccine is against a mutated version of the virus or, yeah. or, and researchers predict where the mutations are occurring so they develop vaccines to where the mutations are. So it's, it's, it's a normal process. We've had pandemics you know, uh, epidemics, pandemics, probably about eight of them in the last 100 years. So it, it's, we've had them before. The viruses mutate. We do get viruses from animals. So it's not really a big surprise. Uh, what is surprising is that how infectious it is and all the severe side effects that are occurring in the humans. And now there's evidence that people that had coronavirus Three, four weeks or five, six weeks later, um, there's evidence that they still are positive for coronavirus, although they've had it. So we don't really understand what what's happening in the body. Does does the does the virus actually disappear? It maybe be it's probably something like they're suggesting that that it's probably something like chickenpox. You know, you've had when you've had chickenpox as a child or whenever you've had it, it remains in your body forever, and then later on in life, it comes out as shingles. So we don't know about this virus. It seems that it remains in the body. Now there's other strange symptoms that are coming up, which is you know, skin symptoms and lesions in the skin, sensitivity to the skin, to the eyes. It's found in, in the brain. So it's in the gut. So there's damage in the gut. So there's a lot that we don't really know. So that's the surprising part But um, about this virus. But, you know, having... Going through another pandemic, or you know, um, it's it's sort of not a surprise because these things happen, um, and we see it throughout history. So already, are we are we seeing already some strains, some different strains of this this one virus already developing? Uh, there are there is uh, some yes suggestion that the the virus is already mutating, um, but the people that were previously infected. Um, if they get their new strain, they have minor symptoms. Um, so there is, and there are some people that have minor symptoms. Some people have severe symptoms. One reason could be that they're probably infected with a different with coronavirus, but with a mutated version. Yeah. So one is one gives severe symptoms. One gives, and another mutated version gives minor symptoms. That could that's one suggestion. So there is evidence that yes, it is already mutating. Uh, but that's a normal way of how viruses 
um, and even bacteria, they always mutate. You know, then we get resistant strains, for example, even in bacterial infections, we find that antibiotics no longer work for a, you know, a typical bacteria that antibiotics previously did work. So there are antibiotics, there are bacterial resistant strains coming out, so they're mutating. Same thing happens with viruses. It must be obviously then difficult for you to work out whether you're progressing with a, with finding a vaccine or not. Well, see, I mean, the virus, the, it's, the, when the virus mutates, it, the whole virus doesn't mutate, so it's not a completely new virus. It's just one region um, of the virus that mutates. And usually, um, you know, you could sort of trace that. You could sort of see which is the region which is different. So then vaccines can be made or drugs can be made against that region. Um, or vaccines in particular will have to be made against that mutated region if it's mutating. Uh, drugs, you could target any part of the virus and you, know, you could stop it from um, dividing and, and growing. We mentioned uh, the start that uh, that you're working on, obviously, a number of other projects as well. Is, is COVID-19, the coronavirus, is that is that the one that has taken you away from some of that other work at this stage? Well, at this stage, I, uh, you know, I, have, I am putting all my efforts into COVID-19. I guess uh, because one is, you know, there's an urgent need for a vaccine. There's, uh, uh, it's, it, it's a, the pandemic. We need, we urgently need a vaccine and drugs. But at the same time, we can't. A lot of our research has been put on hold uh, because of coronavirus, and you know, with social distancing, not even we don't have everyone in the lab. There's only one or two people are, are allowed to go in the lab at any one time. So. Okay. A lot of our projects have been have slowed down. Other existing projects have slowed down, um, and some of them have even been stopped because of the lockdown and that and working from home aspect. So most people are working. So because of our those projects that have been put on hold now, you know, we are working more on coronavirus related research and because it's more of an essential, urgent research at this present moment. Uh, we are putting all our focus on that for the next few months. Yeah, the, the thought of you taking a couple of vials of coronavirus home to do some work at home is, is probably not not uh, not going to happen. Um, we've heard a lot from politicians. We've heard from media people uh, talk about uh, uh, the measures that we've got in, in force at the moment in terms of the lockdown and the social distancing and all those things. As a professor of immunology, uh, what, what's your thoughts on on what we're doing to to stop the spread of the of the virus? Are you, are you happy with uh, how far we've gone with that, or could we go further? Or would you where do you where do you sit with that? I think Australia did great in uh, taking their measures. Although I personally I believe they were a little bit slower than other countries in taking the measures and it's going into stage three. Um, but I think it was a great idea because that definitely has slowed down the curve. Um, so, but in the last few days, I've been hearing that you know they want to start, um, you know, letting people go out, and, you know, sort of trying to get back to somehow to normality. Um, I think we should not rush into that. We should um, not because if we rush and go out and try to have you know some sort of normality go. Uh, or decrease the go to stage two or stage one um, 
lockdown or measures, I think we needed to do it slowly and be cautious and um, ensure that, you know, we don't get another wave coming through um, if we do it too fast. So we had to be really careful with opening up and going out too quickly. You know, we don't want to repeat history because back in 1918, which was a the big um, was a pandemic that was from 1918 to 1920. The Spanish flu that they had in their first wave, there were two million people, approximately two million people that died, and then they thought that they got they got over it, and there were fewer cases, etc. So then they were too quick into getting back to normality back in 1918, and then. A second wave came through because they were they didn't act appropriately and they went out too quickly, and then the second wave came through and the, it infected fifty million. Fifty million people died Jeez. from that. So yeah. the first wave was two million deaths. The second wave was fifty million deaths. So we don't want to repeat history by going out and hurrying up and saying, "Okay, we've decreased the curve. Let's let's go out now." But you know, if you think about it, this started all this started from one person being infected in China. And look what's happened to the whole world. Yep. So if there's one person out there, it's gonna, another wave will hit us. Yep. So we really, really need to take caution. Um, they keep still keep the social distancing. Um, do not, you know, have small gatherings, not large gatherings. Uh, still take, you know, not go back to entire, entirely normality, but try to keep uh, keep do it slowly. That's my, my recommendation. Yeah. You once famously you were quoted as saying that there, there are cures for every disease sitting in fridges. Um, do you feel that uh, we're not far away, hopefully, from finding a, a vaccine that, uh, that will help us uh, uh, deal with this pandemic? <laughs> Look, uh, there are lots of um, cures in the fridges. Just about every, every research lab in the world will probably have a few um, cures in their fridges. You know, I've got about 15 of them sitting in our fridges that, Victoria University, but uh, and the reason why they're just sitting in fridges is because it's lack of funding. And we, as researchers, we develop cures, we develop drugs and vaccines, etc. But you know, we could only do it to a certain point. Um, after that, you we require you know funding from anywhere, philanthropic funding, commercial, industry, um, grants, etc. So a lot of them do remain in the in the fridges. With this pandemic, with this coronavirus, again, it's all based on funding. You know, I could develop a vaccine and have one ready by, you know, by next week, and I could have drugs ready by next week. But if there's that's that's up, up until the point I could get it to and have all the animal testing done and have all the screening and biological activity done, but then translating that into human trials is what costs a lot of money. And if we don't get the funding, then we won't be able to progress. So. You know, the, the governments are currently giving, are supporting research. Uh, there's a lot of people donating money for this type of research. So that's, that's one good point. That's great that you know, a lot of these will progress. But I think some of the smaller research labs or the ones that miss out on funding, they will probably have a cure for coronavirus or a vaccine and it probably would stay in the, in the, in the fridge. So everything is dependent on funding. Yeah. Developing well, drugs, developing vaccines is not difficult. It's getting the funding to fast track it or and to get into humans. That's the difficult part. 
at Because of Funding. Professor, we, uh, we thank you for your time. We know obviously you're incredibly busy and uh, to spend some time with us on the Talking Window podcast has been really appreciated. Thanks so much for your time and uh, just as simple as uh, please keep up the great work. Thank you. And remember, everybody, whoever's listening to this, just wear a mask and wear gloves. You know, I've gone out to the supermarket and I'm the only one wearing a mask and gloves and people look at me strangely. Um, but you know what? They do protect you in to some degree. They won't protect you entirely, but they will protect you to some degree. So just take care and, uh, you know, just remember to keep safe, keep a distance. And if you've got a mask, if you don't have a mask, you can make one. Uh, take extra measures to protect yourself. Thanks, Fass. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for chatting to me. Thank you. My thanks to Professor Vasso, where we really do appreciate her time. We realise how urgent uh, this uh, need to find a vaccine is and uh, let us hope that uh, that uh, Vasso can lead the way and uh, we can get this, uh, nip this in the bud. Uh, not, I mean, that sounds a, a little trite when you look at it like that, uh, given the parameters that this uh, this virus has affected us and uh, and everyone around the world. But uh, the sooner that we can do something about it in a, uh, in a medical way, in a scientific way, Let's face it, the better for all of us. So thanks to Vasso for her time. Really do appreciate it. Once again, thanks to uh, Vic Uni uh, for supporting us there. Thanks to the Wyndham City Council for supporting us uh, in bringing you this uh, important information and this podcast. Don't forget the Wyndham Local Professional Services Advice Program is up and running. Head to the website. That's wyndham.vic.gov.au. Uh, I was getting my govs and vics in the wrong, uh, in the wrong way. wyndham.vic.gov.au. Go to the services section there into the business and investments section and then you'll find the Win Local Professional Services Advice Program. Uh, as I mentioned uh, at the top of the program, human resources, industrial relations, uh, you might need some finance planning uh, uh, help there. Uh, there is some help available to you there. These are free one-hour specialist consultations, uh, business planning, digital marketing. There's a whole lot of, uh, a raft of things there for you to choose from. So please take advantage of that. And once again, thanks to the council for their great support. Wyndham.vic.gov.au. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Talking Wyndham podcast. Thanks for listening. Talking Wyndham is an initiative of the Committee for Wyndham. All the latest news and events are on our website and Facebook page.